Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, third time is the charm. <laughs> um, Ebony, what's the name of your podcast? It is, is well, it's Ripe Fruit Presents Masterclass on Idea Evolution. So um, each class is sort of taken, a, each uh, session is sort of taken a morph of this, but it's all from the root of the idea um, of ideas. Beautiful. Could you say that again? Because I'm just typing it. Ripe, Ripe Fruit Masterclass. Ripe Fruit Presents Masterclass on Idea Evolution. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for joining me. Really honored to have you. Oh, I'm really honored that you asked me, you invited me. Well, I'm excited. Let's see. So Lori Rubling, an accomplished designer, researcher, art and design project facilitator, 40-year career uh, that spans uh, theater production, interior architecture, design and build, which I want to know more about that, curation, graphic communications. And so currently you're a professor of art and design at Stevenson University, which is how we have been in contact with each other and how we've come to know each other, but also a lecturer on design visualization strategies for the Graduate School of Architecture and the School of Architecture and Planning at Morgan State uh, here in Maryland as well. So um, I want to let you talk about what you're currently working on, but I know that you're lecture lecturing, you're exhibiting art here abroad <laughs> when you can prior to this <laughs> this shutdown. Uh, and so tell us, I know you're working on Annette Kellenberg's 10-year retrospective. So tell us a little about what you're working on now. Sure. So um, so Annette Kellenberg is a art, um, artist educator. Um, her, her body of work spans fiber arts, textile design. Um, she's been teaching at the Maryland Institute College of Art for decades. Um, and over the past eight to 10 years, um, she's been running a course called Breaking the Code, which is about um, working with undergraduate and graduate students um, around how you translate analog uh, making processes into digital processes. And um, as a result of this, she was a fellow, a National Science Fellow um, at the Smithsonian History Natural History Museum, where she had over two years access to the um, museum's histology slides of fish. And um, so she explored uh, skin and skeleton of a fish form and then digitized it, iterated and digitized and uh, basically um, kind of was able to blow open her analog practice into digital practice in, um, in studying very thin sections of, uh, of uh, an animal armature, animal skeleton. Um, so, um, you know, uh, University of Maryland, Baltimore County has this fabulous Center for Art, Design and Visual Culture, and um, her body of research is going to be exhibited there beginning in September. Um, and basically, it's uh, we'll be showing tons of, well, not tons, hundreds of prototyping, right? Prototype samples, things like that, and then finished work. Um, she's Dutch, and um, uh, her interest, uh, she used iconic forms, primarily the Dutch collar, which is a Calvinist, you know, signifier 
uh, used um, in the 16th, 17th century as, as a way that you would identify your religion, so Protestant or Catholic, so they're different colors depending upon what religious practice you have, so it's very um, social social identifier. Anyway, and um, and this is what the body of work is, so it's fascinating. Um, is that helpful? <laughs> yes, really, and really intriguing. Um, I, 2020 has been this year of going from analog to digital, so I, I can't wait to uh, win that. <laughs> there win you that go. Up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think what's very, um, uh, Annette and I uh, met each other in 1984 when we were both at the Cranbrook Academy of Art and, uh, of Art and Design um, studying graduate school. I was in architecture, she was in uh, textiles, fibers, and um, uh, I mean, you know, we, we became friendly. And then, of course, when she relocated to Baltimore with her husband partner, Dan Myers, who is a photographer, um, you know, we've been able to sustain, you know, our relationship. And um, so this is a very interesting uh, opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. And I would say that what's also unique about Annette is that um, she strives for just, curious. you know, she's curious and is just constantly looking at how um, to take in new information and to play with it and translate it, which is something that I absolutely um, also am engaged with. Uh, and it's not about making finished work, you know, like a nice tied up bow kind of like thing. Um, you could, you, you might say her totality of her work is this iterative process. Mm. And I want I want to get into that iterative process and that curiosity and how it's core to an idea and kind of get your take on that. But I know that you're also working on your own exhibition. So I, I want to get talk about that too. Yeah. So um, I, I wasn't planning on doing this until like five years from now, four years from now. So, um, but the slide came open, right? To be the featured faculty artist at Stevenson. And um, I always, uh, in my work, when I'm exhibiting, I always, the space is sort of what um, is how I start, you know, so it's basically an installation, um, mm -hmm. which ties back into, um, well, doing interior um, architecture and theater crafts, right? So it's very much, um, uh, and I think of my my own work as a series of props um, mm -hmm. and, and uh, that just get arranged and placed and, um, also the idea that nothing is fixed, that everything can be moved. So um, a couple years ago, uh, Ina Alessina, another faculty member at Stevenson, yes. uh, did this beautiful featured faculty show on um, uh, my, uh, mycelium um, material, which is basically, oh man, I can't, it's um, sort of an organic material that she conjured up it's it's not something she invented, but anyway, it's it's um, it has properties that can behave like plastic, but of course it's not plastic. Therefore, it breaks back down into the environment when it's when its use is over. Great. So it's very sustainable, and um, and so uh, the when the invite came to me, um, within moments, um, the idea came to my head. Oh, I want my subject to be a sequoia, a great sequoia tree. And I visited the Great Sequoia uh, Monument, you know, the park in California in 2018, in the yeah. spring of 2018. And, you know, it just blew my mind, right? Um, uh, we were in, um, so in, we left, uh, I was with my Australian cousins and architects, you know, friends, and we traveled five hours to get there. And we, you know, left 70 degree weather. And by the time we arrived on top of the mountain, 
um, I forget the elevation, whatever. Uh, we had two feet of snow. <laughs> and, wow. It's really wow, right? And then, uh, um, so getting to where these, where the great sequoia trees are located, you know, you had to walk, you know, it's a wonderful experience. But anyway, okay. and then you encounter these um, a massive, amazing organisms. And of course, you bend your head back and you really can't see the top. And I couldn't even like get close to them because of the two feet of snow. But anyway, um, I just thought this is really interesting. And so then I just started to iterate and then I said, okay, so I'm going to build upon Ina's ideas. And I, and I'm just thinking, especially, well, obviously the significance of climate change and how we have to change our way of being in the world. Mm -hmm. I thought I could make a a gigantic infographic using the giant sequoia tree as a narrative, right? Mm -hmm. So the title of the the installation will be Likely Stories, uh, Matter and Form. And uh, where the title comes from is actually my interest in reading about um, uh, uh, existence. So it's Plato's, you know, so it's ancient Greek thinking about, um, well, cosmologies or, you know, how we take in uh, the universe, like right? how we receive our, under- our thinking about the universe. Um, so that's the way I get there, Plato and Aristotle, Aristotle's matter of form. And there's lots of other literatures involved here, but so I'm gonna just play around with, um, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of these as drawings. So we I'll be drawing probably a 20 to 20 foot diameter cross section of a great, you know, in other words, I'm going to um, represent the circumference, you know, by, right? Cross section mm-hmm. of the Great Sequoia Tree because the gallery allows us to do that. And, um, and it'll have, I have to, I think I'm going to use um, a 279 foot height tree. You know, there's like tree, 279 foot height. So I have to, I don't remember exactly its birthday, you know, but whatever. It's probably have 2000 rings, right? So I'm mm-hmm. going to create that. And the title of that drawing is going to be called Straw because, of course, a, a tree, sur- you know, uh, uh, um, slurps up water, right? Mm-hmm. And it also uh, slurps up carbon. Okay, and the, and the drawing itself will look like it'll be a straw color, and um, then another object I'm going to be making is a 279 foot ruler, and um, it's going to be called Sequoia ruler. In other words, I am t- I'm um, represent uh, full- I'll be creating a full length height right of the Sequoia ruler, <laughs> and uh, and it's um, I've calculated it will take up. 22 almost 23 feet of wall space and of course because the gallery at stevenson is big enough to accommodate this sure yeah and it'll it's going to be well I sh- maybe i should shut up about all these details but um <laughs> so it's uh so i'm creating um these props or these tools or ways of which um i think to help connect an audience right you mm-hmm. know just average everyday audience and help them try to um realize um, mm-hmm. our relationship to nature, to our world, sure. um, the beauty of abstraction, um, and that it's a very much a narrative. The, I, I would say that, um, probably, uh, um, the main, a main literature source for all of my work mm-hmm. is Edwin Abbott's 1879, um, okay. science fiction fantasy called Flatland. 
Okay. And, um, it's uh, it's a it's a uh, it's a manifesto, right? So it's a story where Abbott is um, complaining about the fact because his his he, because his daughter, right? He has a daughter, not a son. She's not allowed to get a formal education. Okay. So there you go. Wow, exciting! First of all, <laughs> and how timely. <laughs> because we haven't been able to go out and spend as much time out in nature and in the trees. In some ways we haven't been able to be out in it socially, right? right. So, and yeah. what I'm seeing is that you do see more people taking these sort of hikes and these secluded ways. So I'm very timely. I'm, I'm excited for this. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for making that point because that's probably what I, that is the connection I want to um, promote, right? Mm -hmm. And excited, right? That we are connected to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. Awesome. Yeah. So you talked a lot about um, during the time of this. Well, let's start from that point. Excitement. And how do you get excited about an idea that you just had? I don't, you know, maybe it's the idea you have for this show or throughout your career, maybe different ideas for projects you wanted to do. You know, what is the key to keeping and maintaining that, you know? Well, um, so thank you for, uh, this is um, such an interesting question, right? Because it actually, it's probably triangulated on the, and the triangulation is um, sustaining or working on an idea. When I was an undergraduate at the Corcoran School of Art and Design, um, the faculty there were training us or showing us how to sustain a lifetime of creativity versus um, sort of more immediate, like, uh, let's say marketing success or getting into an art gallery. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, so I, so definitely, um, from that strategy, I have a library of sketchbooks, um, journals that I continually work in to write down ideas, continue these narratives, um, mapping out my diagrams, writing down dreams, um, before digital spaces, um, I would clip things, articles, photographs, you know, so basically it was a, it's a way to sustain one's creativity, mm -hmm. um, uh, so that you don't always feel like you're starting from the ground zero and having to uh, escalate really quickly. Sure. The other thing is I, I, Ebony, it always starts with a question. Okay. Now. Yeah. Um, sometimes, you know, I definitely identify myself more as an artist than as a designer, but I'm, I, um, uh, my ex-partner who we used to run Rubling and King Studios brought to me this morning, a set of toys that I designed in 1995. And uh, we saw that these are, um, really interesting surface designs that are based on a geometric grid that. I iterated 64 variations on, you know, it's really okay. to encounter again. I completely forgot about them. And, um, anyway, so, you know, there's systems involved and sometimes I wear a designer hat and other times I wear more a poetics, humanist, artistic hat. Right. Okay. So this idea of a question, I think, and this is sort of where I, in reading, you know, the questions that you suggested we might talk about today, mm -hmm. I kind of want to emphasize that um you know the question could be why is that the way it is 
Or I'm thinking about the guy that invented Velcro, right? Walking his dog and getting burrs on his socks. You know what I mean? Like, um, I didn't know that. He might have started like, how can I keep these things, get these burrs, you know, keep these burrs from getting on my socks, right? It could be the exact opposite, you know? But at the moment that you, you really, he really paid attention to, to the structure of um, a spike and a loop, right? In other words, how the, um, how that kind of a, um, wedge, right, creates a bond, you know, sure. we get Velcro, it's really quite amazing. So again, um, and then the question about, I would say in 2003, this was a major shift in my uh, studio work. I asked myself, um, why is it that younger artists and designers, and I, I guess, you know, you may, we might call them millennials, I don't know if they're millennials, but just practicing artists, so I would have been in my early 40s. They would have been in their mid or late 20s, mid 30s. No, let's say 20s. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, why, why aren't they paying attention to modernism and um, yeah, and idealism, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the question I asked. And I landed on 9/11 um, and um, the concept, operating concept of chance, um, randomness, and uh, so that's another way a question can drive your creativity or create an idea that's something to look up you said chance and yeah it's like you know tossing of a dice mm -hmm. right die yeah uh, playing cards you like you know when you sure. play solitaire the you know there's the system of a card it's 52 cards 52 weeks mm -hmm. out of the year uh, uh four suits of 13 cards right which is basically the seasons sure. you know what i mean and um, you shuffle them up and you lay them out and then you try to create order again, you know <laughs> yeah um, and, and that's a version of okay chance interesting so that that's a yeah. great segue into something i've heard you touch on a few times and i've seen as i read and learn through your career this versatility in whatever it is you're creating if you talked about elements being like props, speaking to like a modular, you can, yeah. it's modular. So where is there about detaching from the outcome of what it's going to look like so that you can dig in, you know, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean that, wow. To me, Ebony, that is the most significant, um, attitude, temperament we need, right? And discovering new things um because i guess uh you know the here ido's design thinking process really comes into play right that kind of six steps of um of iteration and you know how you start off with a pile of things and you diverge and converge to think about relationships and you know so so the first part of design thinking is what i really love to do i'm really really interested in execution right so this notion of the detachment required you know, is in in imagining ideas and um, really playing with them, and then and of course the other skill there is knowing when to when it's knowing when you realize oh I have something that's worth mm -hmm. then executing right not all I sure. are worth executing um, a most a lot of people you know in terms of temperament um, when I'm working with young students design students art students they kind of some want to start at the end and then develop research that that connects to that versus you no know, you start with an interesting pile of things that you're interested in and by examining that you start to 
um, create, um, see relationships between them. Um, uh, and you can play a game called Circle of Opportunity where you just randomly start to combine things that you're interested in and, and then you ask yourself, well, what, how might you combine those two things um, without necessarily thinking about an audience or necessarily thinking about a product, just, you know, playing around with that. And um, it, it really does help to, um, again, do divergent thinking, um, play, mm-hmm. completely play. And, uh, and then, then when you start to test out an idea, either talking it out with other people, sharing with the focus group as you've been so generous in helping us with, um, and then, or, you know, field testing, um, do you realize that you're onto something? Okay. So maybe this is a good time to ask, you know, can you go into your own definition of what an idea is and maybe talk a little about, you know, that curiosity that's, that it needs to always stay open and what i wonder personally about is the idea courting you and playful with you is it limited is it persistent or is it like i need to capture it right now you know your personal experience of of an idea at that very stage. yes thank you i would um i would say i have a lifelong idea that i have explored in many different ways right since i've been 20. Now, what is that mm-hmm. idea, right? I my lifelong idea is this really is a intuitive um, uh, relationship and understanding that space about is about mm-hmm. space, um, you know, physical spaces, proportions, you know, the body, uh, the performative aspect of a body moving in space, mm-hmm. right, um, and then the minds. Uh, translation of space is in, in temporal through temporal time, right? The notion of chronos or you know things moving sure. cycles. So, um, so again, you know, there's this uh, affinity of a big idea that then becomes iterative on circumstance and desire, right? Um, of of what your resources you have at any given opportunity to work. Um, you know, I think what is, um, you know, someone who really loves to make that I, I am not, I don't really enjoy making anything except maybe (laughs) cooking, (laughs) um, or painting Mm -hmm. a mural. All right. I can get into that or drawing five foot tall drawings or something, but I am much more interested in envisioning, you know, a system that to transact and then asking, inviting you know, working with collaborators, working with a lot of people to making it happen, right? So, you know, I think um, that's probably really the des- how a designer thinks more than an artist thinks, you know what I mean? So I, I, to me, I guess what I'm trying to clarify here, it's very interesting. I think uh, someone who really likes to make, right? An artist who makes things in their studio um, would would desire to be doing that being elbow deep on a regular you know weekly Mm -hmm. basis right i'm much more i'm always more um writing and diagramming um thinking out ideas diagrammatically using geometries Mm -hmm. basically i have a whole i have a whole inventory of icons and you know it's like i wouldn't call it a it it, it's geometric yeah a set of geometrical um shapes and tools that i work with that i think out ideas and think about relationships and um 
it, it connects to hopefully I'm still staying on point here mm -hmm. um, Wittgenstein's um, concept or uh, understanding of language as a toolbox and that meaning is in its use mm -hmm. so again language is mutable it does um, the definitions of it change depending upon who's using it and how mm -hmm. they're using it and that again is iterative and it, if you allow yourself to be open-minded about that right as opposed to know this you know the grammar of of um <laughs> of some of a of your language of origin is always sure. your goal right to follow mm -hmm. the proper rules um, i mean some people love that kind of constraint that does not accept <laughs> me at all so this notion that you have a a toolbox right this toolbox that is iterative in mm -hmm. its combinations is really really yeah. interesting to sure, me. And you're touching on you know always be going towards origin and how that line is moving i guess in my personal story that line has moved it's like oh there's an origin before what i thought was the origin so let's now explore that um and i think you're talking yeah. what you've talked about i love this distinction you made between artist and designer uh and it's a line we may cross mm -hmm. over often but i love that there's this sort of relationship to various elements together even if you've created something now how does it fit in relationship with other things and um, yes. for for students and since you get to deal with students as well you get to see as they come into the confidence of my relationship to my world defining myself as an artist because you're you know you're like individual unique in the world and and the confidence that it takes um could you talk a little about that mm -hmm. totally yeah um well that's where the study of aesthetics comes into all of this, right? Um, or the, or it's actually really more about metaphysics and the meta, um, so, um, or cosmology, right? So how, you know, ways in which our awareness of ourselves, right? And the environment and the worlds that we find ourselves in, um, is just really um, very, the understanding of that really sustains me and um, uh, Japanese religio aesthetics is a practice of that Zen, right? Hindu practices. Again, I was raised Roman Catholic, but um, you know, but so I guess I don't want to go down any rabbit holes. But it um, to me, the um, universal laws, right? You know, the fact that there are these constants, right? That that symmetry is required to to keep the constants balanced mm -hmm. you know what i mean but in the balance it's not a 50 50 thing right it's just all these different relationships that are um that work macrocosmically the microcosmically um so anyway so when i'm working with young students who truly in suburban american sure. life right the message they receive is, oh, well, I have to be like everyone else. You know what I mean? Or self-examination just isn't necessarily important, you know, uh, things like that, right? And then they come to college and, you know, all of a sudden they realize, oh, someone's actually asking me my opinion on something. And it's wonderful to watch, watch that light bulb go off, right? Uh, working with freshmen this semester, um, a, a student in um so we have a freshman year experience right where you're trying to help students sort of understand the code switch the code switch quote unquote of a university you know the systems of universities and how they can how to <clears throat> make it less mysterious to them but you know, as i was presenting um 
uh, I was presenting McLuhan's The Medium is the Massage, um, trying to create this, a creative experience since we couldn't go to museums, right? And a student goes, wow, you're asking us to think so differently. <laughs> and uh, again, it's one out of 19, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But that is really exciting. And students then start to realize, wow, what are my opinions? Now, again, not every student, this gets back to temperament and things like that. It's not the only requirement for being creative or, you know, if your temperament is a wanting really constraints and knowing the rules, that's great. And you want to do that as to the best of your abilities and to be clever. Um, but, you know, in aesthetics, basically it's this dialogue of intuition and uh, culture, uh, cultural norms, social roles. And, um, you know, this is where Kant becomes so helpful, right? Because he um, looks, you know, because judgment is subjective, right? So Kant gives us um, kind of like uh, the modernist understanding of um, of judgment, right? As subjective, you know, I, I have a point of view, you have a point of view, everyone has a point mm -hmm. of view. And, and then when we look at it, we have taste, which would just be, oh, I like this or I don't like this. And, um, you know, when students go, oh, well, beauty is just whatever you think is, you know, whatever you think it is, you know, totally stops the conversation yeah. from moving mm -hmm. forward, right? And, um, and of course, that's a defense mechanism because then when, because the kids know, you know, students know, oh, you have to defend yourself, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> and then, oh, I, this is all received idea to me. And what, you know, right? And they have to be willing to be open to, well, what is it do I mean? But then you get to the sublime, right? Which, of course, is the area of my interest, main interest, which is that you are, as a human being, we're so aware of, uh, geological time of the grandiosity of you know the infinity of um, our of what we understand the galaxies to be or whatever mm -hmm. right you know of course it's hard to you know billions and billions of galaxies like how could that be what whatever um, and you know what's a black hole and blah 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 <laughs> right all those kinds of things um, but in the sublime right we're in this dialogue of uh, um, forces and the uh you know how did this happen right how did the universe become mm. you know and in that dialogue it, so there, there's some interesting tensions and um symmetry sure. there so anyway um it, that's yeah. awesome i mean and and what we don't want is to be reliving the allegory of the of the cave right plato's allegory of the cave so oh. how to like quietly go you know, about it yeah <laughs> well, well ebony let me tell you um in I'm so glad we got here because I wanted to share this with you. Um, there's some, so when, well, I, I probably our conversation shouldn't go down this rabbit hole, but the cave allegory, you know, recently, okay, so an author, um, McEwen, uh, Kangas McEwen, um, where's her book? Uh, I can't think, Indra, Indra Kangas McEwen, a um, Canadian. Uh, architectural um, theoretician studied at McGill and she writes this book Socrates ancestor and basically pre-Socratic philosophy um, specifically Anaximander the first origins of uh, speculative philosophy was making models of the universe mm. a gnomon a map and an MLR right you know sphere model and um, and then 
uh, ain't, then Greek society says, oh no, we're not interested in that stuff anymore. We're just going to focus on the society and politics, right? And in our social relationships, because that's, you know, the world in which we can mm -hmm. control. Very interesting. But, um, but my point is, uh, McEwen, she and her conclusion in this book of Socrates' ancestor, she starts poking fun at Plato because she envisions, and I intuitively, I think you and I understand this too, that the cave is actually em is is the em is the um, uterus uterus of life, and there's and uh, and then we get mm -hmm. birthed, right? I love that the birthing process. Sure. Yeah, cool? it really is. And uh, yeah, now I love to pick on Plato. He definitely has blind spots around feminine yeah. and masculine, and. <laughs> Uh, he, has, he, he has a chip on his shoulder and all these kinds of things. Um, uh, again, a visionary in um, imagining the myth of recollection, you know, or, or desiring, hoping, intuiting that um, that our being in the world is connected to the past, but we're also contributing to the future. Sure, right? Sure. You know what I mean? And and uh, there are many. There's another artist who is actually a friend of Duchamp. His name is Barcello. And he has this, uh, he has a book called How to Imagine. And in his cave, right, is a grotto um, that sits underneath his farm in Italy somewhere. Wow. And it's fascinating. So this notion of birthing, mm -hmm. right, is, um, I think a man looks at it, right? Someone who hasn't given birth might look at it slightly differently than a uh, female. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Okay. I know. I'm going to go back yeah. and read it with that perspective in mind. But this is, yeah. it goes towards that just we're always coming into the full discovery of we only, we see through the glass dimly. And I'll refer to it as like the download. I'm just trying to get the full download. Like it's coming from somewhere else and I'm trying to bring it to life. So um, some of the things that help with that for, and, and sort of this confidence we talked about from young artists to, I have a lifelong commitment to this message that I'm, or this perspective on the world that I'm trying to create um, as we as we wind down, are about like broadening our lines from nas national to international work and like crossing all lines, curating, yeah. you know, and that piece, what do we choose to put forward at what time? And how, how important that is to the process, not just that here I've, I've brain dumped, I've put down everything that has kind of come up for me, and then I'm choosing what is going to be essential. And you talked a little bit about this earlier, like how you choose what to move forward with. This is the viable idea. This is the heart of it. Yeah. So, gosh, it, you know, it's circum. I guess, uh, and I'm just acquiring this skill of patience and um, having confidence or faith that eventually you do get to share everything that you understand, mm -hmm. but sometimes you're maybe not in control of the order or the opportunities. And, um, and that uh, we share our ideas, you know, just through simple friendships, like you're mm -hmm. in my friendship. We share ideas in learning environments and professional environments and book clubs and you know encountering people on the street or going to a concert or to a theater program you mm -hmm. know what i mean so i think there are many many ways in which ones um we are able to share our understanding and be engaged in conversations mm -hmm. um uh it's really interesting you know how a book 
you know, a book can be a thousand years old and we still have access to those thoughts, you know, which makes writing or, you know, written down words so um, powerful and a book is so handy to have mm -hmm. it in. <laughs> what, what, what do you know that, that aren't necessarily good at paragraph writing? And, um, you know, what, what form do we use, right? Uh, you know, what do we want to do? And um, I don't, uh, is this how, is yes. this, am I yes, helping? Yes, absolutely. And, and I guess what I want to say on the back of that is you live it out in that way, encountering you and, and just coming to your the classroom and different talks that you may have done. You are very sort of pleasant and welcoming to differences and diversity and, and just let's all let's open it all up and all learn in here together and have this creative artistic space. So I appreciate that about you. Um, okay. And for having this conversation with with us, you know, and um, I hope it continues. Like I feel like we had it in a very philosophical way, and then got tangible for a different aspect. So yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Ebony, I just want to say that I think um, through 2020, the imperative of younger voices, you know, of future leaders, um, how they're viewing the world, what their values are. Um, the obsolescence of my, you know, indoctrination in society, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's so apparent to me and that um, I want to help, you know, the, you know, um, younger generations um, to figure out their voice and to um, lead us, mm -hmm. right? Uh, basically, I feel like 2020 is a pair, is, a, is the paradigm oh, yeah. shift mm -hmm. of so many things. Yep. Yeah, I agree 100%. And we survived it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I, it's now now people are going to yell at me. I, you know, every, we did suffer. Mm -hmm. I, you know, we all suffered yeah. this year. But I'm, the year's ending from my point of view with a greater capacity that I understand that I have in myself that I didn't know at the beginning of the year. Mm. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we've all had to stretch in many different ways. I agree with that. And so our capacity is more. Yeah. yeah. And, and that doesn't diminish, perhaps, you know, that does not diminish what's happened and that it's, you know, there might, we might have PTSD as a part of it and all kinds of things, right? Kids, you know, young children or children's capacity um, to learn might require a different strategy, you know, like it doesn't mean that we, we're not going to struggle, but I think we, there's a interesting change, you know, um, society is changing yeah. in really interesting ways. Well, I think just being quarantined reminded us, okay, things don't fall apart if I have to sit still for a moment, if I'm not productive 110%, look, <laughs> things are still going. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you, Lori, for this um, this time and this conversation. I appreciate it. Oh, well, you are so welcome and good luck on this project. It's really wonderful. Okay. Thanks. Yours too. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. <laughs>